0: Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today I'm here with Devin Craig. He is an acquisition entrepreneur, broker with Peterson Acquisitions. And we're going to have a blast here today talking about all things buying and selling and growing companies. Thank you for being on the show, Devin.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me, Ron. Good to be here.
0: I used to do these, read these really long bios of people every time we put somebody in the show. And then the first question I have for everybody is kind of like, tell me how you got started. Give me your origin story. I tell that repeating joke, hey, you were born and now you ended up on a show about mergers and acquisitions. Can you fill out the gap in between? So let's just start there. Like kind of how did you get into this space? Mostly focused on like the mergers and acquisition, buying and selling of companies. And how did you become a broker in that space?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. So actually my wife was kind of my initial inspiration. She started her own business from scratch. She's a marriage and family therapist. And so she started that Oh man, I guess it's been like a dozen years ago now, and she's done really successfully well. And so I told her I kind of wanted to go do something like what she's done, right? So she had the opportunity to go first. I was still in corporate America doing my thing or whatever, and various different kind of big Fortune 500 companies and just not loving it. I think like most acquisitionpreneurs, they start out in a, in a situation they're not loving and they want to get the heck out of it. That was exactly me. And like so many of the other buyers that I meet now when I'm facilitating a a transaction. But what I did was first, I started with an education. I got a master's degree uh, from Gonzaga in org leadership. That actually sparked me to start a business plan to do consulting. And so I started doing that, coaching, consulting, and professional speaking. But I learned that starting something from scratch is really freaking hard. And I saw my wife go through the same thing. I'm like, man, does it have to be this hard? And so through my like research and learning about this process, I, I got the idea planted in my brain, actually from a really not an acquisition, premier M&A space expert necessarily, this guy named Mike Johnson on LinkedIn. He more so talks about how to free yourself maybe from something you're not loving by buying a cash flowing asset, basically. And in his case, it was not specifically businesses, but I took it off from there in a rabbit hole and started going down that journey. And I started fi- following all the big gurus um that talk about this, you know, Carl Allen and Moran Prober and all these like no money down, Dan Pena, all these folks, I started following these guys. And so I went down that rabbit hole and started shopping and searching for a business to buy. Once I learned about this kind of processor approach. And so I eventually did several years back and bought a direct mail marketing company here in the state that I live in here, in Washington State, where I'm at with my wife and, and two young boys. So I bought that and the plan was to keep the day job at the same time. But actually I got let go, right? Like 30 days before closing, I was like divine intervention. God saying like, this is where you're going now. So that's what I did is I jumped full, full bore into entrepreneurship and took this thing that was a 25 year old company that in every facet was operating like that and had a lot to improve. And so I just poured myself into that and started working to improve the business. And did very successfully. But I also just love that deal mm-hmm. process too. So I went and bought a second business. Both of these were the SBA kind of programs that were set up. But I also, at the same time, as I was going to look for the second one, I started uh, going even further into the education and did all the, the big gurus like mastermind courses and the online courses and spent a stupid amount of time and money on those things, man. But it was all good education. So I did my second deal then, and the education helped me to do that. Did a third deal that was a a customer of the first business I bought and just kind of kept going with it. Eventually, part of what all the gurus recommend is to go get your own deal flow going. And so that's what I did is I started going to, I used my direct mail marketing company to do that, but it was still a lot of time and energy to like do off-market deal sourcing. So I started to build that pipeline, started finding sellers or business owners that were willing to sell, but I wasn't willing to buy them um, at that time for whatever reason. And so they asked me if I'd help facilitate the process for them. And so the thought hadn't crossed my mind because honestly, I didn't have a ton of great experiences with brokers, Mm. to be honest. Most of the gurus you talk to and you listen to, they are very anti-broker. And so I was kind of in that vein all along. So when I got asked that at first, I'm like, yeah, there's no way. I don't want to be associated with that crowd. I gave it some more thought and I talked to a couple of mentors of mine, one of which who was a business broker and used it as his like deal sourcing basically Mm -hmm. for businesses he would buy and then also Mm -hmm. extra income. And he has a a brokerage here in Washington state. His name is Aaron Muller, super great guy. He's written a book. that's not so much on acquisition focused, but it is about acquisitions. It's called lifestyle business owner. And yeah, just a great friend and mentor. He was open to me working with him as a broker because what I'm going to do it differently than any of these folks who've gone before. And so Aaron was one of those folks who was doing it differently. He just had a different process than I liked. But through my research, I found Peterson. And when I found Peterson, I'm like, yeah, this is it. Chad Peterson and team. And what they're doing is truly unique in this space of business brokerage, like smaller deal sizes or, you know, lower middle market or whatever, doing some really, really cool stuff. So I with them since last year, the partner broker here in Washington state, building out our practice out here, but under the Peterson umbrella, basically it's a joint venture kind of setup. Um, unlike a lot of the other franchise brokerages and stuff like that, there's a lot more infrastructure that we get to work with. So yeah, I've been working with them and now I still own those businesses. I'm selling one and I'm kind of using the methodologies we talk about in Peterson, which I'll get into a little bit later of using that in to put that back into our companies so that we can continue to kind of grow basically. But so I got the brokerage and then still have four other businesses that I do. I still do some consulting and then the direct mail marketing company and the other two that I bought kind of through that process. So um, I'm kind of yeah. going full board out of Peterson now.
0: So you got the uh, direct mail and then one of them, what was, is the other one's mail related?
1: Yeah. It's like, it's more like a retail version. The first one, mostly serves businesses, the other ones like on shipping and logistics, but it's mailbox type store, that kind yeah. of thing. So yeah. kind of like a non-franchise UPS store, but that does a little bit more like on steroids. So it's more consumer focused. It's an offshoot, but not I tried. I thought it was going to be more of an intertwined, but it it wasn't really. So they are really separate.
0: Right. I seen that one. The reason I was uh, curious about it is like our local U.S. Postal Service here -hmm. in this small, I told you, I live in a small community in uh, in the woods out here in the the Northern California. It's not very good, like to the point where we went and got a post office box at the facility because they just don't regularly deliver to our house correctly. Right. Mm -hmm. If it's raining or something's going on, the, the the lady just won't bring her mail. All right. Yep, it's yep. whenever she feels like it. This is U.S. Postal Service. So I thought, man, there's a play yeah. here to rent a space, put boxes in there and let people come get their mails. And I know some other people have done it. They're decent cash flow, recurring revenue type of small scale. Doesn't take much to run one. Right. Mm-hmm. As far as manpower, yep. One of the things I did many, many years ago is I used to get contracted in the, to set up FedEx stores. So when FedEx would open a new store, I would go in and install all their electronics, point of sale systems, their network network. They would give me blueprints of the store and want like, okay, the router has to go here, the cash register goes here, the scale goes here, the, and I would go and set everything up for them in two or three hours. I could have the whole place in and out of there. And then the direct mail out, you're a man of my own uh, heart there. I made most of my money in the real estate business through direct mail. I'm trained by Dan Kennedy in the, in the space. I spent quite a bit of money in his courses. I still have them stacked around here somewhere. Yeah. Everything that nice. man ever wrote, I bought every book, every program, everyone, whatever. I probably spent a good 20 25, 30 grand with him, but I'm a big fan of that. And my master's degree is in marketing. I say I won't, I'm not interested in a brick and mortar company, but if somebody had a really good direct mail company that was local and I didn't have to go to Washington to run it, I'd probably be interested. It's a good business to be in.
1: Yeah. 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 It's done really well. And like people think mail's dying, but definitely not direct mail. That's for sure. It's yeah. just growing. Sure. Letters. People are sending me these letters and stuff. And that business does do that as part of the service for the businesses we serve. But direct mail, man, I mean, even the big tech companies are using it left and right because they see the value in it. And so I constantly get stuff from all the, um, what online places that ship food and stuff like Google mails me things as a business owner to say, like, use this coupon to do Google ads. I'm like, you guys know who you are, right? you're like the biggest online company and you are mailing me stuff. So yeah, even the big guys do mail all the time.
0: Yeah, and like I was looking at one Oklahoma, I was like, probably a direct competitor for what you do, and I uh, talking to him, and his main customers was like churches and charities because mm-hmm. they do subscribe basically. Get people up for money. But, yeah, get yep. people up for money. I'm trying to think of a polite way to put it, but you're dead, dead on with what it is. <laughs> There's a name they call it, but basically they they sent out call for tithings for people who haven't been to church in a while, like so they'll, they'll send it mm. like I think. I go to church, I believe, but I was like, if you start sending me a, a, build in my house, cause I haven't been to church in a couple of weeks, I'm gonna be a little offended by you.
1: Yeah. I wonder how that went, but yeah, same thing. I mean, our clientele, cause we're, it's a hyper localized focused business, this one and same thing. Yeah. It's a lot, all local nonprofits, all the school districts use our, our business. Like it's all local, but yeah, churches and nonprofits send a lot of stuff because it works, you know? And so they, the ROI they get on these things is like 10 X crazy. You can send out 5,000 pieces of mail and they're getting tens of thousands of dollars back.
0: One of the best ones I've seen, and I haven't seen this in a long time. I still own a bunch of real estate in Oklahoma. I'm, I'm at that stage where a lot of it concedes that I'm high equity absentee. So I end up on their mailing list of getting letters like, hey, would you like to sell your house? My taxes are in a different state. It's like, it's just, it just shows up in their mailing list. One of the best mailers I've seen recently was somebody sent me a Keller Williams, hey, would you like to sell your house letter? but it had a flyer in there with a bunch of advertisement of things you would do before you sell your house, insulation, oh. roofing, paint. But so what they did is he sold a flyer card. He sold ads on that mm-hmm. card to mm-hmm. pay for his mailing campaign. Smart. I think that was absolutely brilliant. Right. Cause you know, yeah, now he gets the mail for free and it's a, it's a real, you know, real estate broker or agent and a hundred
1: percent. Yeah. Like hundred percent return. Like he paid nothing to get, <laughs> get leads. You know, that's amazing. Yeah.
0: You might even, depending on how much you charge for those little spots and how much, how well you did it, you might even be able to turn it into a minor profit center, right? Exactly. You know? And that's
1: the third acquisition I made was a customer of that direct mail marketing company because the direct mail marketing company didn't produce a lot of its own proprietary content, mm-hmm. but there was a customer of that we did all the mailing for that did have kind of this branded thing that was this local mailer, basically, yeah. like one of those penny flyer looking things yeah, with... Coupons in at sudoku stuff like that, because there wasn't really any in that geography. And so we saw the benefit of that and he was kind of winding down or doing something else. So we just took it over from him and we yeah. said, Hey, can we just do this for you kind of thing? Because there's still a big demand and need for that kind of stuff. Yeah. But that's essentially kind of the same thing. It's like this aggregated for someone who approaches this and they want to do like a, just a direct piece themselves, but too expensive. This is a good alternative. Yeah. It's like, okay, it's a lot cheaper for you to be just on a page with a few other folks kind of thing. So it gives us another service offering, but I, yeah, that's super smart.
0: Before I got into Merge and Acquisition, I had a real estate investment firm. We probably spent between $2,500 and 3000 a month in stamps and mailing expenses, paper, mm-hmm. ink, stamp. But we had to do it in-house because we had two interns. Well, we brought two interns in to do the list main maintenance. We had it outsourced for a little while, but it's really hard to find somebody that does small batches. And unfortunately, we were sending, even though we're spending that much money, we were sending a bunch of different things, groups of a hundred of this letter, that letter, we had a business Mm -hmm. that did help homeowners stop foreclosures. And if they couldn't stop it, we would buy the house out of foreclosure for them through either through the Mm -hmm. short sale or negotiating with the bank or whatever, rarely bank owned properties, but you know, so we tracked every single case in the state and uh, multiple times throughout the process, we'd update them on what's happening in their case. There might be a thousand of one letter going out and a hundred of another and 50 of another, depending on the stage. So it was just constant management of small batches. And I just couldn't yeah. find, I couldn't find a mailer that was really good at small batches. They all wanted to print the same thing a thousand times or 10,000 times to send out.
1: So, right. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. And, and this mailer I have, because it's hyper localized, like that's all we're used to doing is small batch stuff. So you're yeah. exactly right. You can go to the big guys and get the super cheap, or if you want kind of more hands-on, that's what that business I own is kind of that. Super hands-on, high quality, faster in a Can do smaller scale stuff.
0: Oh, that's so, cool. Uh, Let's talk about the process. Like you, a lot of people think that it takes. They can buy a business in the first thirty days. They they go take a course and they're gonna buy a, day, a business in next month. The search process. What did it? How long did it take you to find your first acquisition?
1: I think like over two years, two and a half years, something like that. And yeah. that was even with education, or that was me investing in the education and like. Yeah. So it took me a long time.
0: So I've taken. Uh, we don't. We don't throw shade on the show. I didn't tell you that beforehand, so we never talk bad about any of the gurus. But I've taken. You can talk good if you want. I've taken both Roland <laughs> Fraser's and uh, Jeremy Harper's course. I've interviewed most of the guys. Most of the guys I would take their course. Unfortunately, after I've taken Roland Fraser's and Jeremy Harper's, I don't feel that I need anymore because they both have so much information. Roland's course had like 217 videos. I haven't still haven't made it through all his videos in his Good wow. account, right? Yeah. But uh, you. Do you mind saying which one you you went through?
1: Oh, yeah. No, I don't mind. It was so I took Carl Allen. I did kind of an offshoot of Roland Frazier. Like he had so many students that he had some students start to go off and do their own things, yeah. basically. Yeah. And so I kind of started plugging into one of those guys. So it was yeah. like a Roland Frazier esque, but it wasn't the exact stuff. But yeah, I did Carl Allen's, I think, Ron right. Perbears. I did a couple of lesser known guys, Kyle Malian and Michael Myers. Yeah. They have Acquisition Penrur. Dead Bears. That fell apart in the it.
0: last year, at the end of last year.
1: Yeah, yeah, to stop doing it. But yeah, at least those. And then obviously Peterson stuff too. I've gone through all Peterson stuff. So, oh, cool. Yeah, at least four or five.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've done a few and I've interviewed them all. Like, one of the things I did is even after taking the two courses, I started this podcast. Like, I still have questions. And I was like, I already had the podcast equipment because before COVID hit, I was about to start a different podcast on uh, just really cool, interesting people I knew. I had the equipment and I had the thirst for knowledge. And then I started interviewing brokers, advisors, and people that have done deals to get the rest of the questions answered. You know, you go through a couple of courses and you still have little gaps, right? Then I realized I really love meeting people like you and doing these programs that kind of just stuck with it. So I don't know that no. I'll ever, I don't know that I'll ever quit. It's fun to do this. What's unique about Patterson that had you, you said a couple of times they do something different than the rest of the brokers and stuff. What is unique about their, what's their setup? What, what drew you to them?
1: yeah two things. Uh, one is results. so really, really effective in each one of the things that Peterson does. Mm-hmm. So the typical traditional thing is sell side brokerage, okay? And Peterson's really effective in that. It's got a ninety percent effective rate compared to the twenty percent industry average effective rate. And so that really drew me in because of how just much they can get done. And once I started to learn how and why, like it made sense to me, basically. But basically it comes down to kind of the values of the company and of Chad himself who founded it. He's been doing this for 25 years, 20 years. And he's been named one of the top brokers in the country and um, done a ton of deals. And so basically this whole thing's kind of being built around what he's learned and done and built, like taking this all out of his brain and how he's been so effective. And so the brand and the process and all the training. So that's what they're going through the process right now since last year of doing trying to download all this and put it into something that's like repeatable essentially. So all of us are getting to learn his methodologies and how he was so effective on the sell side. So yeah, really, really super effective on the sell side. And it's basically because he left no part to chance. And that's partly what I experienced that I was frustrated with sell side brokers when I was engaging with them through business sell or sell or had the head listing. I mean, it started with the basics, like return my phone call, return my email, like you know, I had to chase freaking brokers down. If it wasn't for me being so laser focused on wanting to do this, like I those deals wouldn't have gotten done that I purchased because I had to hound those freaking brokers to get just on the phone with me. So it just starts with the basic stuff like that. And some were better than others, but I mean, there was a decent amount that I found that were just hard to get a hold of, which was so surprising to me. So starting from there, all the way through the point of like, properly pricing the business and helping the seller to understand and like managing their expectations, basically taking the approach. I, this is like Chad's phraseology is he looks at it like once you uh, client signs on with us, it's now our deal. It's now our business. Mm-hmm. So in other words, the seller is not calling the shots because they're looking to someone like a broker and advisor to be just that, to be that guide through that process. And so we really take full ownership over that business and that deal. Uh, from the sense of like getting that process done. So starting with evaluation, starting with seller expectations, they don't call the shots, we do. We help them understand how we value businesses properly for bankability. And so we have an internal expert who is a 30-year veteran who started the U.S. Bank SBA lending program, named Lee Levinson. Who he teaches all of us about the SBA guidelines. And most brokers understand that SBA is gonna be probably the primary tool that most people use, but they still don't understand the SBA that well. So we really use like their tools, their processes, their guidelines to put deals together. All the way up through like that buyer vetting, we're really thorough in the buyer vetting side of things. So many brokerages just sign an NDA and then hand over that information. We actually have conversations, we ask for them, like how you got to finance this thing. We ask them for the personal financial statements. I've signed probably in my lifetime, now over the last five years, 500 NDAs, and 99% of them just handed me the info with no conversation. Only one brokerage that I met actually expecting me to tell them specifically how much money do you have sent aside to, to go do this and where's that money coming from. So Peterson does that as well. We do expect when Earth's money goes up, it's hard money. When we um, get to the financing portion, we insist on using the banks that we know do deals and not just their local credit union who they said her does SBA lending. Like no, we don't play those games. Right. We use our thirty party attorney who's not going to overlawyer the deal and make it more expensive. Like we just have a thoroughly vetted process from the beginning to end and no We leave no part to chance, basically. And so when I heard and saw that, it made total sense to me. But the other parts that make Peterson really unique is the effectiveness with the sell side, which again is the most common thing that all brokers do, but also everything else that we do is really unique. So for example, we also do buy side advisory too. So if people want to come hire us, we can actually help them go find off-market deals and go walk hand. This is what's different than these other gurus is like they just tell you how to do it and then you are completely on your own. Good luck, right? For right. the same amount of money, or potentially a little bit more, you could hire someone who's going to give you both the education, consultation, go find the deal, walk you through all the way to the point of negotiation and closing the freaking deal, finding the money, walking you through how to do it, hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder, all the way from beginning to end. Had I had done that with my first deal, it would have went from two to two and a half years to like six to twelve months. It would have cut the time in half. So much opportunity cost not lost anymore. Had I just like worked with someone who was going to work shoulder to shoulder with me to actually get it done. So yeah, the buy side advisory is like second and none, and there's investment banks that do it and other big, big groups that do it on bigger deals, but not really in this lower space, lower middle market space. And then on top of that, we have our education company Mm -hmm. at chadpeterson.com. And this is honestly, of all the ones I've done, it's the cheapest and it is hands down the most effective in my opinion. And both of us know from experience, all these other different ones. And to your point, like education was there. It's awesome. But what I love about what we have is it's both buy and sell side because part of it is part of the reason why sometimes deals get delayed or don't get done or whatever is sellers being the problem, right? Mm-hmm. And so our education also specifically addresses sellers and helps them to understand like when is the right time to sell and how to be more proactive because most sellers wait until it's way too freaking late to mm-hmm. sell, right? And so then they have these unrealistic expectations about price and process and terms and everything. And they slow down and make the deal harder oftentimes because they just whatever. And then eventually they get desperate and they sell for less than it's worth or whatever, or it doesn't show them, they close it. And so we actually have education that addresses that category too, because our goal is to make the entire space of smaller and lower middle market more sophisticated and just make both parties, everyone involved, just more educated and empowered process. So we address both sides. And then we also have lots of different toolkits and different books that we have. And also like a unique methodology that uh, Chad's kind of coined and that we're kind of trying to advocate for out there called QSI. And it's just a way of looking at small business ownership as an investment vehicle, basically. Mm -hmm. And that's another really unique thing that makes us kind of differentiate and is part of our education process is helping buyers and sellers to understand this process and how you can actually leverage it for not just getting into entrepreneurship or changing adventures or whatever, but do it proactively in a specific way using the SBA to actually like get outstanding returns on your money mm-hmm. and even grow that money over time by using liquidity events to buy even bigger businesses. And so now that's what I'm doing. Once I've learned this process, I'm doing that process right now of selling one of those businesses to use for a down payment on the next larger business basically. So, and then the last piece that we have that makes us unique is we have a capital company. And so we will actually be buying companies as we go Mm -hmm. on a specific criteria. And what makes this capital company really unique is like, it's one of the most unique of its kind in that we're bringing together some, a lot of different people as part of this process. So we play kind of facilitator guide coach along the process of putting the deal together. We can bring together investors who don't have to be super wealthy or accredited or whatever. They can literally be maybe a seller. We just help to, to get liquidity. And they could put a portion of this back into small business investing passively. Mm-hmm. So they can do that with us. And that will be used as the down payment on the business through the SBA program because we're specifically going to target businesses that are going to kind of push that limit of SBA, that 5 million cap. And then we will also bring together operating partners. So people like who I was five years ago wanted to go do this. I bought something smaller because that's how much capital I had <clears throat> versus how I put that capital in something like with this Peterson Capco model I would have been that much larger of an, an owner partner with other people who know what they're doing and could have bought a much larger business because they're bringing investor capital too. And also, I mean, our operating partners don't even have to bring in capital if they don't have it, but maybe they just know they want to get into entrepreneurship or whatever. So we'll have an operating partner while we'll the Peterson kind of infrastructure supporting it through the education and also the broker's deals, feeding us those deals that we're going to look at. And then the investors can come in and help us buy those companies basically. I mean, ultimately what Peterson's trying to be is. Not just a one-stop brokerage, but a not just helping people one time but through a lifetime of business ownership and buying and selling at different intervals intentionally and learning from us how to do that and be very planful about those processes over time, but also want to bring together more people who maybe traditionally wouldn't do it, like those folks who are stuck in corporate America, don't have the cash to do it, but they have that entrepreneurial spirit and have a skill set that could apply to running a small business, bring them in. And then same thing with passively investing in small businesses. There's, there's no other vehicles to do that. So We're really trying to like revamp and bring some sophistication to this space and bring more people into it and have them be engaged with us over, like I said, a lifetime.
0: Services, tax advisory, and even fully outsourced accounting, Reconciled has got you covered. They help you make the best business decisions, keeping your end goal in mind. And the best part? Reconciled understands acquisitions as they have acquired three accounting firms in the past three years. And their founder, Michael Lee, mentors others in searching for acquisition, raising capital, or trying to aggressively scale. Reconciled invoices your clients, pays your bills, and delivers clear and accurate financial reports every month automatically, ready to streamline your financials and prepare your business for the next big step. Visit reconcile.com today and let them get your books in order. Reconciled, making bookkeeping a breeze. That's reconciled.com. I love that you guys have a process to to train and educate the seller. One of the things I get asked to do a lot of times because they see I spoke in other, like when I had my marketing firm and other stuff, I was on stage and teaching stuff from the stage. They'll ask me to come speak on this. Like, I'm pretty new in this space. The only thing I'd be willing to, to, to speak on, and I've done it a couple of times, is marketing-related stuff. Sourcing off-market deals, maybe a little bit in the negotiation space, because I've done a lot of negotiations of real estate and other stuff that kind of is parallel. But uh, one of the things I you know, I really emphasized during the presentation on sourcing off-market deals is if you're going off-market, You're taking that role of that broker on to some extent because the seller is unsophisticated. They don't know a lot of these terms and phrases that you want to spit out. They don't know what an LOI is. And and a lot of times they're going to look at you with a slight hint of suspicion because you're using language they don't understand. So you got to put on the hat of educator and buyer and win the trust and rapport deeper than you would have if you went straight to a broker or something. Because now they have to trust that you're telling them this is the process and they believe it and they trust that you're the right buyer. So there's a deeper low, if you're going, if you're an independent buyer like myself and like you were when you first started and you're doing off-market deals and you're going, you're sourcing off-market deals, that rapport building is so much more critical than it would be under any other circumstance, right? Yeah,
1: exactly right. Yeah, so if you're, and I mean, exactly right. I think you'd have to be skilled, like, trainer essentially while also like selfishly serving yourself by trying to get a good deal yes. and so yeah it's a it's a big mountain to climb yourself it's doable 100 but you're exactly right it's like it's not just simply going on to biz by cell and scanning and inquiring on those businesses because those sellers are already trying that's the one major benefit of any broker what you know regardless of how ineffective they are is like at the minimum they took the time to interview the business and have some information about it and probably did some level of education or expectation setting with the seller of some kind, maybe not very thoroughly, maybe not super well, but at least there's a little bit less of a hump you have to go over versus approaching someone and saying, Hey, you willing to sell and hadn't thought about it yet. And so now you've got exactly like, right. It's like big
0: ramp up to get them to that point. And that broker acts as an independent third party. It's not unbiased on either side, but an independent in the such that if you bring up a term or a phrase, they can go to the person that they hired and go, he keeps talking about an LOI. What the heck is that? And if you were to explain it, you, like you said, you have to be that trainer. And you have to have that air of not only knowledge and confidence in what you know, but the ability to teach it and make sure the other person got it. Right? That, mm-hmm. that, that's a different. Being able to tell somebody something is one thing and be able to, to explain it to them in a way that they got it and they believe in it and can move forward with it is two different things. Right. Yeah. Many
1: entrepreneurs are not great at that because they're impatient. Yeah. That's like the, that's the prototypical entrepreneur trait of like that shiny light syndrome. And you just want to get the result and be done and you're going to grind it out. Or you're going to get it done. Yeah. Most employees don't think that way. And so it, it's not like we're naturally built to be effective trainers mm-hmm. and coaches and guides. And we get impatient. I know I do get impatient, actually having to go weed through the weeds mm-hmm. to explain everything that needs to be done. You just want it to kind of be done already, right. I think. And so, yeah, like Most entrepreneurs are seeking out these businesses, even if it's their first one to buy. And they probably, they need some education on their hand too, right? These individual buyers, if it's the first business they bought, like that's still going to be scary. That's still going to be a lot of work. It's still going to be, you know, a heavy lift. And so if you're learning at the same time and you're barely 5% ahead of the seller, they understand their business. They've been in business. They understand entrepreneurship. They know a lot more than that buyer does in that sense but maybe the buyer's a little more educated on the acquisition process potentially, because hopefully they did what I did and got a little bit of YouTube education or something, right. but I started going down this road. But chances are, it's like the blind in the blind, typically, probably.
0: Yeah, There's plenty. Of, like I, I tell people all the time, like which course should I take? And I was like, there's a bunch of good courses out there. As a matter of fact, I got a guy that uh, in the next few weeks, one of our sponsors, well, he has his own program. That said, there's a bunch of guys out there that do this stuff. There's so many people teaching this. I don't see a gap where, like, okay, I need to fill this gap for people. There is one small gap that I'm considering, and that's uh, rapport building, relationship building, basically doing a two or three day thing on not just negotiations, but how to really connect with people and um, move the conversation forward. And mm-hmm. I know some people who have asked me to do it. I've had, I know some people that are really good at it better than I'm at it, even. And, uh, Might put together something in that space because I think it's a skill that's lacking. And even a lot of these courses, they just don't teach that. Right. Yeah. They, uh, I see too many. Carl
1: talked about it a decent amount. We talked about the psychology. Chad talks a ton about the psychology, both of buyers and sellers. And, but on the rapport side, like it's, you're right, it's like only touched on. But I've noticed that to be a strength of mine too. Like I've never, like every seller I've met, I've I've talked with dozens and dozens and dozens of them. And brokers and like almost every single one of them have said like that they turned away a potential buyer because they just didn't like them. Absolutely. Almost every, every single one. Of them, one. Yeah. yeah. And I have never had like a broker call me and telling me like, yeah, we don't think it's a good fit, you know, or whatever. Not, not once because that is such a critical component.
0: And I still to this day have people who call me that I looked at their business last year or the year before. And uh, maybe they didn't decided that I, maybe I decided it wasn't right to buy it. Or maybe they decided that they just really didn't want to sell, like they, cause I do a lot of cold outreach. And, uh, but they still reach out to me and go, Hey, how's it going? Like, you know, we made a connection and they'll reach out and, Hey, if I do decide to sell this, are you still interested? I moved out of Tulsa. So probably not, I, you know, there's only one kind of a business in Tulsa I probably acquire at this moment. And I own a pest control company in there. If you got a bigger one, I want it mm-hmm. to bolt onto mine and make it bigger. I run it eight for me. I'm 1800 miles away and <clears throat> run it remotely. That said, just knowing, how to make those connections. And at the end of the day, a lot of people, this is one thing on real estate, but uh, real estate and business investors don't understand is at the end of the day, the guy that created that business, unless he's retirement age, if he's selling your business because he's got another cool idea or especially in the software space and stuff like that. There's a good chance five years from now, he's got another one to sell you. I met a guy who uh, I, I look people up. I do research on them as I'm talking to them before I talk to them on their deal. I was trying to sell a furniture distribution company for office space stuff. And we're talking, I'm getting to know him, we're we're connecting, I'm answering questions. And then realize realized he kind of messed his company up pretty bad. He's going through divorce. So I was like, so i was still asking questions like, are we done? Like, you're not going to buy it? I was like, yeah, I'm pretty much done. And he goes, well, you're so nice about it. And I was like, yeah, so you're going to create another business. You're going to sell this to somebody. It's just not me. I can't do it with the status you put it in gonna have to sell it as a strategic buy to somebody in the space already. Mm-hmm. You just want your customer list and stuff. But a year from now, you're gonna pull yourself out of this muck. You're gonna create another business. Five years from then, you're gonna be ready to sell it and do something else. Because you mm-hmm. haven't, this is the third one you've built and sold. I still want you to call me at the end, in five years from now, I'm probably still gonna be buying companies at 55 and you build good companies. <clears throat> like a lot of these business owners are like that. You wanna build a rapport with them because they're probably gonna have something else for you later or even better. Yeah. You do buy the daggum thing and you need their help six months later.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Another thing that we say at Peterson is like a person who buys your business can be a best friend because how many of the other best friends have cut in checks for seven digits? Not many. So, um, yeah, and all the more reason why it should be amicable. It really should be, I mean, a, a marriage, a positive relationship and partnership that's longer term than just that transaction. And I still do to, to this day. I've had both the owners um, live closer to the businesses I bought. And so they, they actually go into the businesses more frequently than I do and they'll call me Devin, hey, what the heck's one out there? It's Like, gotta get that short up. I'm like, okay, you got it. And so they're still just as invested because of the relationship mostly and because it's their business and their baby they built. Right. And so they and so they but they feel like they're welcome to do that, which I want them to feel like they can't because I want it to feel like a partnership essentially. And they're increasingly not coming in as much because now they're in retirement status or whatever. But the fact that they feel like they can, that was a big sign of like, okay, obviously they felt like they have a good relationship with me.
0: And business, people don't understand businesses are actually microcultures, right? If you think about it, like you made me think of something and my father worked at the same place before he passed for 44 years. I grew up in that facility. Everybody know everybody there. Now they're all retiring out, but years after he passed, I would go stuff. I was in town or whatever. I'd stop by and if I needed their product, it was a manufacturer that made paint. Like, like they actually mixed it and made their own brand of paint. I would stop, if I needed to paint something, I stopped buying my mine from them. And, but I knew yeah. the guys behind the counter They knew my dad, I worked there during the summers growing up. I worked there for a year or two before I went into the military and the owners have switched hands. now it went from son to grandson by the time in my mm-hmm. lifespan, went from father to son, to grandson, they're running it now. Like go, next time I'm in town a years from now, I might go in there and see if anybody I know is still there, but, mm-hmm. uh, there's their microculture that business owner that sold that business had those some of those employees especially if a business has been around for a generation or two those people have been around and grew up in this presence mm-hmm. right they're yeah. they're almost as much family as they are employees so you kind awful. of expect them to come back and get stay involved and ask, ask questions and give you some insight and that rapport to and the ability for them to do it is important i think I, I i've interviewed a couple people like no i don't want the old owner coming back he's locked out no. and i've seen a few companies where like, uh, you see this as a broker, I'm sure. You go into a company and they do a lot of cash business. And you're like, yeah, well, here's, here's our books and here's what we tell the mm-hmm. IRS. But business mm-hmm. is way bigger than that. You're like, yeah, yeah. no, it's not. Yeah, or, you
1: know, it's Only what you can prove, right? Yeah. Yep, yeah. sorry. <laughs> yeah. you know. What do you expect a buyer to buy exactly? Your word. <laughs> Good yeah. luck.
0: You know? <laughs> I, I've had people, it's not even always like kind of a dishonest type of thing. It's just, it's laziness to some extent or un- yeah. sort of, I'm going to use a word that most people find offensive. It's ignorance. And all that ignorance is a lack of information or lack, a lack of training and knowledge. So it does, it's not as vulgar as a word as most people put it. But an owner can be ignorant in the ways that things should be done and have no fault whatsoever. In this case, the owner was, at the end of every day, he had well, functional workers, basically. If he got real busy. He had two or three people come in and help and do mm-hmm. stuff. And he was paying them cash out of a register at the end of the day. And I was like, okay, how do you track that? Well, you know, they come in and they, they write down a piece of paper. They came in at, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon. They work until nine o'clock at night. That's five hours. I pay them 20 bucks an hour. And they, I take that out of the cash register and hand it to them. And I was like, okay, so how do you ring and open the register so you can track it in your accounting? He goes, at the end of the register day, we just put what cash, you know, what cash we started with and what cash came out of the cash register. They didn't use the receipts in his register for anything. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Okay. And this, mm-hmm. this place was making millions. Like it was a multi million dollar uh company that you would never expect to be that that scale. But uh how many of these companies like what's the prosperous for you? The reason I brought this whole subject was a lot of these businesses come to you, they think they wanna sell, but they've been running accounting office spreadsheets and handing trash bags full of receipts to their accountants at the end of every month for a long time. What's the process look like? Do you guys have Anything that kind of like where you build some type of quality of earnings report, like you do, how far do you take their accounting to make it look good?
1: Yeah, so our process with any deal is, yeah, we always start with that valuation piece, right? So Mm -hmm. if that comes up that the valuation is not what they're wanting because of what you're describing, because they're not accounting for things properly, which happens pretty regularly, or just that they're, maybe they are, but they're just not that organized. I've had so few owners who are really organized. And have at their fingertips this information to pull it quickly. Mm-hmm. Like the most recent one was a owner of a plumbing company in Idaho that we're just listing. She was so organized and like fast. Like, hey, can you get us three years and all your financials, tax returns, this, this, this? I'm just like, but like next day, all it like organized and like that was the best I've had so far. Most of the ref- rest of it's like, let me call my accountant. Let me do this. I need to scrounge up from here. I got it. Whatever. Well, that's been kind of surprising to me, even the ones who they're not a cash-based business, but so if through that process, then we come back to them and tell them that, okay, this is what we think the price is. That's where typically we get into those conversations of like, most owners want more, vast, vast majorities want more than what we tell them is financeable. If it's close enough, we'll kind of negotiate a little bit and come up to a good number, um, that we can hopefully both be in agreement of. And part of the process, what we're doing through that process is netting the buyer or excuse me, the seller. Because if they're not willing to be flexible and be a little negotiable, then chances are we're gonna have a hard time putting a deal together. And so um, it's not so much like some brokerages tout a large success rate because they take on only certain sizes of businesses, right? Bigger businesses that are gonna get more traction. We take on little businesses too. What's most important to us is that the price right and the seller is flexible and negotiable. If we have someone who's coachable and we can work with, We'll get a deal done. We'll find a buyer for it, even if it's a smaller business. Uh, But, anyways, let's say we get to that point where we're talking about that valuation. They say, "Oh no, we." I have this happen. I've had this happen a handful of times where they say, "Uh, "No, we do twice that business, and we're just not recording it." Okay, so then one of a few different things go on from there. We we give them. So maybe it's as simple as they just need to actually start accounting for it. I mean, just simply like making sure it's actually on the books and maybe they already have an accountant. And so maybe it's a simple fix. So I've had several deals that that was the case where it's like, okay, if you want to sell for that price, then you have to make sure you start accounting for this. And if you could have a good solid three to six months where you're doing that, you can show a good trend of that, make sure that shows up on the tax return appropriately and documented, then great. We'll list you in six months from now or whatever. Sometimes they need a little more help because they're just thoroughly unorganized. And so we don't do it internally yet. Peterson necessarily where we're going to put all their books together for them. We have an entire list of localized, excellent resources for people. Mm -hmm. One thing that, another thing that makes us kind of unique, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about, about us trying to be a resource over a lifetime for entrepreneurs and small business owners is we have the, do we do these uh, top 10 lists of like CPAs and wealth advisors in the geographies we operate? And so we've got these top 10 lists of business resources for people. So we've got the CPA list. And if I know one of them is a specialist in that type of business or fixing the problem that they have, because maybe that CPA is more advisory type or deals with that sector a lot or whatever, then I'll hand them off to that person. And I do the same thing for, I've got a list of lawyers, business coaches and consultants and things like that, that I'll refer these folks to. I say, okay, you need their help to fix this one thing and then come back to me. So we know what we're really good at, which is those transactions and deals and education around all that stuff. And then we leave the fixing to these localized experts who are great mutual referral partners. When they've got people who they're working with proactively before they met us, they refer them on to us and vice versa. If I have someone who comes to me who says, I want to sell, but you know I need to fix this or I want this certain price point, then I try to help them troubleshoot and who they need to go to to fix that price, basically, if that makes sense.
0: It's interesting. That's how I kind of started in this space too, is I would meet with business owners and one of the first conversations you have with them throughout the process is getting to know them. At some point they're going to go, hey, uh, what do you think my business is worth? Or even better, they're going to say, hey, I need $2 million for this business. My instant response to the, hey, I need $2 million for this business has always been cool to see how we can get you there. Because I don't know at this point, we haven't done due diligence. We, haven't, we don't know the details enough usually to say, okay, that's what it's worth. When, but by just leaving it open and well, cool to see how we can get you there. A lot of times getting you there is like, look, you're going to need to work with a really good accounting firm for a couple of mm-hmm. years, put things together, clean up your books, grow your company a little bit and get it organized. And then, yeah, then you could probably hit that number.
1: That's, what's beautiful. So that what makes me that you're exactly right. So that's basically kind of, sort of essentially what we do too. Well, like say just that okay so how can we help you figure out how to get there type thing but what's really cool about peterson i mentioned before this whole concept of qsi like part of what i recognize too through getting into more brokering is that a lot of sellers also don't know what they're planning for next Mm -hmm. like they know they want to sell because they're bored they're burnt out they're ready to move on they're like tired or whatever They say for other reasons, like retirement or whatever, but I've had some people approach me and they say retirement when they're in 50s and 60s. I'm like, you're an entrepreneur. Are you really going to sit on your butt for the next 20, 30 years? Probably not. So what's unique about what we talk about is we talk about, okay, use liquidity then to move into a whole new adventure. You don't have to stay married to the same industry. You don't have to stay married in the same location. You don't have to stay stay married to the same type of business or size of business. Let's say you are older and let's say you want to downgrade, just like your home. Many people downgrade home sizes after their kids have left because they don't need that big of a house anymore. Okay, great. So you could do the exact same thing with a business. You could use liquidity event to buy something that requires a lot less hours, maybe has zero to no employees or a couple contractors, and you could use liquidity just to purchase that outright and mm-hmm. keep yourself kind of busy. But if you're you know, younger, then you could use the liquidity event to move into a whole new business and reignite the passion cycle because every entrepreneur has these cycles they go through. And this is another thing we've coined to Peterson called the passion cycle, like three to five years and typical entrepreneurs are getting antsy and they're kind of looking for the next thing, the next adventure, the next whatever. And they try to do that internally to their business and organization, but that can be hard to do. And maybe they've run out of options of where, how they can do that. And so sometimes it's nice to just do a nice clean break, spell the thing, let the next person Who the next entrepreneur come in and and get fresh eyes and look at it themselves and see what they can go tackle in the business. And you move on and do the same thing in someone else's business. And so that's what I meant earlier by talking about small businesses and as investments is like recognizing your passion cycle, recognizing when you've got good liquidity. So oftentimes that's what I'm asking when someone, when the first thing they say, when they said, I need 2 million, typically what I'm saying is like, the first question is not necessarily how can I help you get there? Maybe it's, why do you need that amount of money? Right. Like, what are you planning to do with $2 million? Well, I don't know. Okay. So why do you need $2 million? Is that going to last you the next 25 years of your life? As- probably not. So you're probably move that forward into the next venture, into mm-hmm. the next, and don't start it from scratch. Buy something already established
0: and learn something new and reignite your passion and try to innovate within that business. And you can do that a little easier as a broker than I can as the buyer, right? Like what do you need the money sure. for? I used to do it in the real estate space all the time. Like, oh, you mind if I ask what you, you know, something? I need to have eighty thousand dollars down. Cool. Do you mind if I ask you what eighty thousand dollars? What are you can use the eighty thousand dollars for? Well, I need you to have skin in the game, and I want to go on a cruise. Like that's one hell of a cruise, right? Oh no, I only need ten grand. I only need, this was an old lady that I, you know, I was negotiating with. Like, I really n- only need ten grand for the for the cruise. And uh, cut the shorty short. We ended up giving her about fifteen grand down. So she could go on her cruise and now she's got a steady income. That's the one thing that she didn't realize is sell, you know, sell the house for cash. You get a check, but no, yep. I mean, you get a tax hit all at once or sell it on a note. And now yep. she's already got her social security and she's got a steady. She was 68. She had 20 years of paying us paying our thousand dollars a month or whatever we were paying. So now she's a little more comfortable for the rest of you know her time. It's like, well, what if something happens to me? We just put the money, you know, we set up a trust for her. When my, my, my attorney set up a trust for her, we paid the trust. And I so said, we continue paying the trust until, like, you have a beneficiary of the trust. If there's your kids, they get the money then. And there's nothing yeah. we have to do and you have to do, it's just done. And a lot of that can be done in on the business side too. What are ways you that tell. people can reach out to you guys, to you specifically? We'll get to that next. So before we get there, what is one thing right now that you're looking for that helps you move your game forward? If somebody's listening to the show, if you, if they could bring this to you, it would make a huge difference in your game. What, what's one ask that you'd have of the audience?
1: I mean, well, the priority is, so Peterson's well-established, but I mean, the one thing
0: I'm focused on right now is just finding
1: deals that we are interested in, like capital company model, because if I can find deals there, then one of two things happens. It's like we start adding more to our capital company. And so the check boxes for the capital company we're looking for is around a million and a half in cash flow. Mm-hmm. and that it's been you know well-established. It's been around for several years, at least. Ideally, a business seller is running for 20 years or something. And so they're kind of way beyond the end of their passion cycle. And it doesn't matter the sector, just ideally something that the SBA lends on and that we could put together a deal for. So that's all I'm focused on right now is kind of capital company-sized deals mm-hmm. um, in my geography here in Washington State. So I don't know how many folks are in that category here that are sellers or no people who are sellers or whatever, but yeah, I'm just looking to basically put together more deals. So either people who know they'd be interested in helping us with that, either on the investor side Mm -hmm. or operating partner side, or then ideally the people who own those types of businesses or size of businesses. And we're going to do these all across the country, but I'm specifically interested in Washington state, but that's all I'm focused on right now is putting together deals like that. Check those particular boxes.
0: So Peterson, is it located in Washington state? Are they, are they in most states now or what's the range? Yeah,
1: I think in almost about half, half the states in the country, we do deals all over the place, but we have physical partners located physically uh, in about half the states out of the country. Chad Peterson started it in Kansas city. And so that's where he was kind of based, but he ended up doing deals.
0: Kansas or Missouri? Missouri. Kansas city, Missouri. I'm pretty sure Missouri. Don't quote me on that. But, um.
1: Yeah. Anyway, so he started it out there and that's where he was kind of based and kind of just owning that market essentially, but broadening out from there over the years. And so he's done deals all over the the country, but now he's bringing on partners who are kind of local partners like me. And we're building out, like I said, the capital company and stuff. So we can do deals across the nation. I've got a deal in Idaho, Washington, California. So I'm kind of the West Coast guy right Right. now. I don't have anyone in California Oregon or Washington, but most of the rest of the states, we've got partners. So if someone reached out to me and they're like, Hey, I'm in... Minnesota, I'll, I'll link them up with Jim or whatever. And you can see all of our partners on like Sell or our website. Mm-hmm. You now, the easy ways to connect with us is the, the Peterson website or me on LinkedIn. I'm most active on LinkedIn. I talk and do a lot of my outreach through LinkedIn. And so I'm pretty regularly on there. So if someone reach out to me there, plus that's all from other additional contact information is on my uh, LinkedIn uh, profile. So I thought it was a good way to reach out to beautiful.
0: What genre is the business? I know you don't want to, like, a lot of people don't want to say the ex business is for sale because they don't want the employees to know quite yet. But is mm-hmm. there a way for you to tell kind of people if they're looking to buy? You said you had one of your business for sale. What space mm-hmm. is that in?
1: That's in one of the few spaces I just described. I was <laughs> cool. to
0: give that, it away. It's absolutely <laughs> okay to, and I didn't tell you this before the show, but it's always a, a, a okay to say, no, nah, I'm not answering that. Because I'll I, I ask you anything, this comes to mind. And sometimes the right answer is, yeah, I'm probably not going to answer that right now just for the reason they can
1: find that they could find that under the Peterson listings. You know, if they okay. just went to their Biz by seller Peterson website, they could find it. Cause it's actually not me who's listening. It's one of my partners and right. listing it. And so, yeah, they could easily find it that way basically.
0: Well, I appreciate having you here today. Is there anything else you want to add before we go?
1: No, thanks so much for having me on. And I uh, yeah, appreciate it. And like I said, anyone reach out, any of your listeners reach out for for any reason. I like just talking shop sometimes. Sure. So, so i just, wanting to entertain getting into the space or whatever i'm happy to connect with anyone anytime
0: and i'll be honest i haven't looked into the education side of peterson so i'm going to dig into that a little bit and take a look around i don't know that i need any more courses but i'm kind of a course junkie so i'll take a look yeah
1: no no it's i mean at least on the sell side and also the qsi side just learning more about kind of that concept and how we describe it it's pretty unique and like i said it convinced me to go to sell a business that i thought i was going to keep for who knows how long and i had no specific exit plan for it to saying like, no, I need to do this now because I need that equity I mm-hmm. have built into it to move into either a capital company or a larger business and grow my income and wealth. And like, it convinced right. me hands down to do that right away. So I think it could do that. For, is there more methodologies just buy and hold of a business right. or start and hold? Those are the two most traditional we think of is like, you got to start it. And most people think you need to do yep. that, right? It's like, you got to start a business and it's, everyone's still kind of on that, which is why I appreciate there are guys out, out there like you who are trying to like say, no, there is another way. And the second way is buy something already established and is try to innovate and grow it. And then the third way that we talk about that's kind of on top of that is buy it or start it and then have a predetermined exit time frame and use the equity to move that forward into a new adventure, just knowing you're gonna have a passion cycle that's gonna run out and just plan for that.
0: It's funny, so, I just interviewed the lead instructor for, for Stanford University. It's, it's not live yet. By the time this comes out, it might be right after, or right before this one. That said, Stanford teaches that basically uh, in their ETA program. It's like, yeah. look, you're gonna, we're going to teach you how to buy a company. He, he teaches the, how to buy a company, but the course is how to buy it, grow it, and then sell it. And it's like a five to 10 year time frame. You're going to pick whether or not it's going to take you five to 10 years. You're going to plan everything out and own it as if you're going to be for sale. Own it like, as if you're trying to sell it to somebody else. Even if you end up keeping it longer, you can have a really well-run company because you've engineered it from day one to sell.
1: That's what I recommend to every business owner. It's like, why would you not build it to sell? Because like, if you're doing that, then it's ultimately also in the in the meantime that you're deciding to stay plugged into it, it also should be giving you freedom because if you're building it to sell, it should be highly not owner-dependent. And, and so you've built in automation, you've built a team, things like that. So now all of a sudden, you get to enjoy it more because you're also enjoying free time and hopefully ideally joining freedom, which should be a benefit of being an entrepreneur, this freedom of time, how you're spending your time. And so if you're doing that well, and you built it to sell, then you're reaping the rewards now long before you actually do sell it. And then when you know it is time to sell, which we always recommend the time to sell is when you're doing well, right? yeah, not when it's on the downturn because your passion cycle is gone, your health is dwind- dwindling, whatever. You got to move abruptly. Like those are the wrong times to sell something. Sell it exactly when you know you're at your peak point of what you've invested into the business and reap those rewards. And again, move that money forward. But yeah, no, I mean, everyone should like start with the end in mind. But when we started, we're so passionate about the thing we're doing. And we're not thinking in those terms necessarily, but you can still have both. You can think about a pre-planned, determined exit and have fun while you're doing it. But you know, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be one or the other necessarily. So yeah, it's it's always a good thing to like research other ways of thinking about business ownership. And that's exactly what Pearson does well.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, I want to appreciate, I want to say thank you for being on the show. I appreciate having you on here and we'll call that a show today. Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks, Ron. Awesome. Hold on for just a second. I want to announce our new channel partners, the ITX Marketplace. Since 1998, ITX has created 5 billion in value by selling more than 225 IT businesses in 20 countries, ITX works exclusively with IT-enabled businesses generating between 5 million and 30 million who are ready to be sold and M&A decision-makers who are ready to buy.